You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. Thank you for joining us again for another episode. This is episode number 19. The title of today's episode is Why God Hates Divorce. But first, I want to encourage you to go to the website, thedivorcedchristian.com. There's quite a bit of information there on the website. Um, I do have different links there at the bottom of the website to a lot of things that we've covered. So if you're not familiar with the Ketubah, which is a very important document, a part of the divorce process in the scriptures, um, go to that website. I have links there at the bottom. You can read an actual ketubah where uh, it discusses, you know, the the consequence of divorce. All this is laid out leading into uh, the process of the betrothal or the espousal period in a biblical marriage relationship. Um, I also have links to the Levitical laws so that you can read all the different laws that, that God instituted through Moses um, that I believe are very important for us to have a handle on if we think we really understand what Jesus is saying. I also encourage you to visit the website, dariusgood.com. So if you go to the divorcechristian.com and just click on the homepage, it will take you to dariusgood.com. I have a brand new book out that's now available, Fear of the Lord. It is a very important principle that we must understand, we must master Moses taught the fear of the Lord to the nation of Israel. Peter, Apostle Peter, and Apostle Paul both taught it to the Christian church. So this is a very foundational teaching that is critical to your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity. Everything hinges on the fear of the Lord. That's your prayer life, um, the system of honor, so the system of prayer, the system of holiness, the concept of faith. Um, There's so many angles, increase, that are all connected to the fear of the Lord. So visit that website, or you can go to dariusgood.com forward slash fear God. So that's dariusgood.com forward slash fear God, and you can learn more information regarding this book, Fear of the Lord. It is available on barzanobles.com as well as amazon.com. If you listen to this podcast show, I would appreciate it if you would leave um, like, shares, um, also subscribe to the show and, and share the, the show with, with people that you feel that this information can be extremely valuable to. Um, I want to begin today with why God hates divorce. This is episode number 19. And when I was young, I always heard the statement, God hates divorce. And that was generally all I ever heard on this particular subject. I did not know where that statement came from. I figured there had to be some scripture somewhere um, that might have pointed to this opinion. And so uh, the scripture is found in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, Malachi 2, uh, verse 16. And it says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, for one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. That is the King James Version. If I read it out of the AMPC version, 
It would read, for the Lord, the God of Israel says, I hate divorce and marital separation and him who covers his garment, his wife with violence. Therefore, keep a watch upon your spirit that it may be controlled by my spirit that you deal not treacherously and faithlessly with your marriage mate. So this is the verse where many point to and say, well, God hates divorce. And then they draw a conclusion based on this particular scripture. And my question to them is, why did God make this statement in the first place? Now, of course, many will say, well, God did not create divorce. But according to the law of Moses, God told him to institute divorce. Um, we've already covered this in great detail. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, we find the institution of divorce now being put in place for the nation of Israel to follow. Many have said that that was not God's decision, that that was Moses' decision. The only problem with that argument is the institution of marriage was also instituted in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Now, people say, no, that began with Adam and Eve. It did, but the legality of marriage, where now you had the betrothal period, now you have the ketubahs in place, which was the marital agreement, where they literally sat down and discussed the dowry, um, the payment from the, uh, the father to the groom, um, which was the dowry. Then we have the payment from the groom to the father um, to compensate, which is kind of like a spousal payment or a bridal payment. Um, they also discussed the consequence of divorce and how much that payment would be uh, in case the, the marriage was dissolved. And all these details were written into the contract, as well as her, uh, her status, whether she was a virgin, whether she was a widow, whether she was divorced. Um, they talked about the kids, the inheritance, the amount of property uh, the, mar the woman might be bringing to the marriage, um, other assets that she had. Um, a lot of, lot of major details are outlined in this ketubah. And this is the beginning of the marital process. And so Moses instituted this in Deuteronomy chapter 24. So if we want to throw out the divorce portion and say, well, God didn't implement that, then you got to throw out the legality portion of our, the marriage agreements and the legal binding contracts that we have even today in regards to marriage. There's a marriage contract or a marriage certificate that we signed. That's the legal portion that deals with our, our, our marriages. And so... We understand that, that God instituted divorce and we know the purpose of it was a, a system of protection for the women. Um, I, I believe, and I never heard this taught, but I believe, I go a step further, that it was a system of protection in regards to the generational wealth. And so when I portioned that the, the dowry really was a percentage of the father's wealth given to his daughter, and of course, the sons receive an inheritance of land and different things. The oldest son would re receive the double portion. And so when there's a portion of the wealth being passed on to the daughter, um, and in case of the dissolving of the marriage, she was supposed to receive at least a divorce back. I mean, the, the, at least the dowry back. Um, there was points in times where she ended up losing the ketubah, but most times, majority of the time, she is supposed to receive that dowry back. Um, so I really believe the institution of the divorce process 
um, not just to protect the wife, but also to protect the inheritance that God blessed the family with. So we got Abraham passing down generational wealth to Isaac, passing down generational wealth to Jacob, passing down generational wealth to the 12 tribes, and so on and so forth. And we begin to get into five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten generations. And we know they count the generations of Jesus. So they kept doing it in groups of 14, 14, 14. These are the generations of Jesus. As these guys are able to track their inheritance, um, it was important that 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 remain within the family. And so I do believe that a portion of the concept of divorce was also the protection of generational blessings that God had pronounced upon a family line. But in Malachi chapter two, verse 16, when I asked people, why did God make the statement that he hates divorce? Majority of the times I get blank stares. People have used this scripture as a standalone scripture if anyone knows my style of teaching, my approach to teaching the scriptures, everything has to be in context. Context is critical. Why was the statement made? Who was, who was speaking? Who was he speaking to? So who was the audience? All of this information matters. It makes a huge difference as if we're going to pull apart the understanding of why the statement was made. So it's not a blanket statement. Um, so what I first want to point out, as I read in Malachi 2, verse 16, in the King James Version, it uses the, the word or wording, put away. The Lord, it says, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. But if you go to the AMPC Version, it says, for the Lord, the God of Israel says, I hate divorce and marital separation. So, I, in these questions, go to the Hebrew or the Greek word so I can have a better understanding of which word is being used, which the definition um, being applied in that particular verse. And the Hebrew word used in this passage is selah, S-A-L-A-H. If you go to any version of the Bible, any translation of the Bible, you're going to find this word selah, S-A-L-A-H. Now, let's be clear. The concept of putting away is not the same as divorce. We've covered this in much detail. But the concept of, being, of putting away, to put away your wife, really means to separate. The, the Greek word is apolio, and we find Jesus using this word. Every time we find that word divorce in most translations, it's really the word apolio, which means to separate, which does not mean divorce. We all know that if a couple is separated, that means that they are still legally married. So there's a drastic difference between separation and divorce. These are not synonyms. They're not words that you could use interchangeably. And so as we go to the, the Hebrew word selah, this word means to send away, it means division, separation in a marriage. And so it's not really the institution of divorce. So now if we take this word selah and place it back into the King James Version and use the concept of division or to send away or separation, then the scripture would read, for the Lord, the God of Israel, save that he hateth separation 
or he hateth the division within a marriage or a separation within a marriage. So we're not talking necessarily about the concept of divorce. So I think it's important that we highlight that many of these scriptures are using words that are not interchangeable. But I think in order to really understand what God is saying, um, I think it's critical that we go back to the beginning of Malachi chapter 2. In Malachi chapter 2, I'm going to read from the NIV version. That way I think it's a little easier for most people to understand. Malachi is a prophet. And so God would send his prophets, his mouthpiece, to speak and deliver his message to whoever the listener is. Malachi chapter 2 begins with a warning to the priest. So this is who God is talking to. And so it begins at verse 1. This is Malachi the prophet warning the priest. It says, and now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. So it's important that we begin with understanding that God is sending them a very serious warning because of their refusal to honor God. And because of this, God says, not only will I send a curse, but I have already cursed your blessings. Now, that's very critical if you're a priest because their whole duty and assignment um, was to do sacrifices and offerings unto God. So now he's, rece- he's basically saying, I'm rejecting your offering, I'm rejecting your sacrifice. So now let's go to verse three. It says, because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. So now we've realized that this curse is going beyond just not receiving their prayers, not receiving offerings and sacrifices, but it also is going to have a repercussion on their bloodline. So now we talk about generational curses or generational blessings. God is basically explaining to them, you're you're on the verge of receiving a generational curse. The dung on the face deals with the the concept of um, the embarrassment at verse four. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant with him, talking about Levi, is verse five a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This call for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. So the covenant God made with Levi, so understand the priests are the Levites. They're part of the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi. God is saying that my covenant with Levi required reverence. It requires you to reverence me, honor my name, and this is what you guys are not doing. So now at verse six, true instruction was in his mouth and nothing false was found on his lips. The King James Version says the law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. So now NIV version, he walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. So we're beginning to identify what these priests are doing wrong. 
So it's clear to understand that they have iniquity in their mouth. The, the law of instructions, the law of truth is not in their mouth. What's the law of truth? It's, it's, the, it's the 613 laws that the priests were inquired or required to teach and instruct the nation of Israel of how to live a godly, a holy, and a righteous life. It dealt with their interaction with God, man and God, and also the interaction between man and man, civil uh, living situations, communal living situations. The law spelled out how they are to behave, how they are to, to think. So that is the law of truth. But these priests have iniquity in their mouth. They have false, false teachings in their mouth. Verse 7, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. Verse 8, but you have turned from the way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi says the Lord Almighty. So what these priests were teaching and instructing the nation of Israel, this is what caused God's anger to come upon them. It caused the, the prophet Malachi to be sent to them with a very, very strong word, letting them know not only has God already cursed you, there is an additional curse coming upon you and one that will also be added to your bloodline. And so at verse nine, so I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. What does that mean? There's areas of the law that they just either left um, and didn't bother to give instruction to, meaning that if people were in error, they didn't tell them they were wrong. Or it means that they showed partiality. So they were doing some alterations to the law. So this is okay. We're going to let that slide, that sort of thing. And priests did not have the, the, uh, the flexibility of to, to handle God's law in such a way. So this has brought a, a very strong word of correction. It's brought a, a curse upon these priests as a result of their behavior and how they are handling the nation of Israel. Malachi 2, verse 10, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do you profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? This is very interesting as God is now pointing out some areas where there is partiality. If he's saying that we all have one father, didn't God create all of us? That means that they had one rule for one group. They had a different rule for another group of people. They're treating people, um, some groups as favorites. Others were not extended certain, I guess, um, mercy or certain grace or flexibility or whatever the case might be. But they are profaning the covenant as a result of this. There's one father, one God. There's one law that should have been applied to all men but the priests are not handling the nation of Israel this way. So he goes on to say at verse 10, why do you profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? 
Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Now he's talking about the nation of Judah. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. So now we understand what's taking place. A little more detail. The priests are allowing the, the, the men, a part of the nation of Judah, to marry women who worship foreign gods. Now, as we've cited before, the Levitical law did allow the nation of Israel to marry outside of the nation. If a convert came in, they converted to the ways of the Hebrews. They're now required to learn the law and live according to the law of Moses. They were instructed not to, uh, not to stop the Egyptians. So that was one group mentioned by name that they were permitted to come amongst the nation of Israel. But the requirement for foreigners coming into the nation was that they submitted to God, they submitted to the covenant. That means men had to be circumcised. Everything that was a part of the Levitical law, they now were required to follow and were viewed as a full-blood Israelite. But what they could not do was marry someone that was pursuing their own faith, their own religion, um, continuing the practices of worshiping foreign gods or false gods. And so this is what got the nation of Judah in trouble with God. But uh, I want to keep highlighting this. The priests are in trouble because they're the ones that permitted it. They're not going to them saying the law states X, Y, and Z, but instead they're allowing them to do what is in their hearts. And as God said, it's creating a stumbling block. It's allowing them to go into sin. And the purpose of the priesthood is to preach the instructions of God, is to preach truth, is to preach God's law. And in this case, we're talking about Levitical law. And so... God is holding the priests accountable for this sin coming into the nation of Judah. Let's continue at verse 12. As for the man who does this, we're talking about the man that marries women who worship foreign gods. The King James Version says men that are marrying the daughters of a strange God. These men who do this, whoever he may be, meaning his status, his title, he could be a prince, he could be the head of a tribe, makes no difference. It says, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, from the tabernacles of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. So it seems as though these priests were telling them, just bring an offering, you're gonna be okay. And God is saying, absolutely not. Verse 13, Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. So now we got a second charge um, of error, a second charge where, where God says, this is another area I am displeased with my priests. You flood the Lord's altars with tears. You weep and well because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands the priests began to realize God is not receiving our offering. God is not receiving our sacrifices. 
Now, they're preaching one message to the nation of Judah, but as they're going in to offer sacrifices, God is refusing them. So now at this stage, they've begun to cry, and they're crying out to the Lord, and this is what they're doing as they're praying and saying, Lord, what's going on? But God is making them aware, I am no longer receiving your offerings from your hands. Verse 14, you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. So now God explains to them, I am not receiving an offering from you. I'm not receiving a sacrifice from you because of how you are handling the wife of your youth or really your wife, the one in whom you are in marriage covenant with. So these priests are in trouble because they are not handling their wives correctly. They're not living righteous marriages. There is not a godly marriage. These are the priests that God is talking to. So at verse 15, has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So he's saying that God desires them to have children. He wants the husband and wife to produce children. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The King James Version says, therefore, take heed or listen to your spirit and let not or let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. So that brings us to verse 16, where it says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away, for one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. NIV version says, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. We're going to unpack this verse in the next episode. Make sure you join us. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, be blessed. You've been listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host, Darius Good. This was a Good Treasure Ministries production. Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center, and he is the author of the book, The Divorced Christian. To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.